Where is God today? We began a very brief two-part series of lessons in light of that question last Sunday evening. And at that time, we looked in some detail at Habakkuk 2 verse 20. We did that in light of some of the observations on, on this next slide. In particular, we gave some consideration to the background of that book, the setting that surrounded Habakkuk's observation, and the grand and powerful truth that followed in that verse. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. The message for Habakkuk, and well as well for those that were his listeners on that occasion, was this. Namely, that in spite of what may appear to be hard to understand, the things that quite frankly are of faith operate on this premise. God knows more than we do. His ways are always right. And even if we do not always understand things, and things do not always proceed as if we think they should, we still trust God. Habakkuk learned that lesson. And as the book closed, he even affirmed that even though the cupboard is empty, and even though there's no money in the bank, even though the cattle and the barns also are bereft of animals, I still will always trust and acknowledge God. That kind of confidence and that kind of internal assurance is so very vital. And it is that which the Bible surrounds in light of the topic of peace. Tonight, we'll develop this a little bit more thoroughly and look at it also with some more additional points. You'll notice as you look on that slide, as we continue this topic, let me direct you back to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. The Lord is in His holy temple. It is at that position that we'll draw three lessons, three observations tonight, and the first one will be this one. We're going to give some thought to the Lord dwelling in His holy temple, using some of the remaining features of the Word of God to settle in our heart the aspects of the ownership and the reigning character of God. And in so doing, I trust that our faith will be strengthened, that our conviction will be stronger, and that our internal consideration of always remaining faithful to God will even be more unshakable. Let's begin like this. The Lord is in His holy temple. Many times throughout the Word of God, that phrase, as it's used, the Lord, can not only refer to God the Father, but it can also refer to God the Son. Let's use it first in light of reference to God the Father. And so it is, point number one, God the Father reigns in heaven. That consideration leads me to several references that make that point. Psalm 11, verse number 4, sends forth the unshakable truth that God the Father reigns on the throne in heaven. He does so over absolute control of the entirety of this universe. Everything both inside it and out of it fall beneath His jurisdiction. Look at some of these verses. His control is highlighted in Proverbs 15, verse number 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Did you note the grandeur of that statement? Every place. There is no place in this universe or otherwise wherein it can be said that God's eyes are not there. He knows everything there is to be known. He appreciates every matter that can be considered. And sometimes the Word of God even points out that He knows our thoughts 
before we think them. I've always considered that to be a staggering truth. To realize that God knows what I'm going to say before I say it. He knows what I'm going to think before I think it. Given that sometimes those thoughts aren't always the most ideal, isn't that a frightening thing? Surely to anyone that's not a Christian, that should be a fearful consideration. But yet to those who walk in the light, there is constant forgiveness for the blood of Christ. Amazing, isn't it? His eyes are in every place. In Hebrews 4 verse 13, we read, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Surely in light of those observations, as God reigns in heaven, give some thought to the greatness of God expressed this way. May I invite you to consider again that verse, The Lord is in His holy temple. What should be our natural reaction to this? Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Our natural inclination... Our natural reply in light of His greatness and what He has done should be silence. God, tell me what you'll have me to do. I want nothing more than to please you. I want nothing else than to please you. Now, those people of Habakkuk's day needed to be told this. You be quiet and listen to God. You, in humble submission, merely have a heart desirous of following Him. It should be no different for us. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, we read, The whole duty of man is this, Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. You may notice that that phrase begins, Fear God. That word fear in the Hebrew carries with it the sense of deep, reverent respect and appreciation of not only the capabilities of God, but also what a fearful thing it is to stand unacceptable before Him. The Hebrew writer pointed that out in Hebrews 10.31 and echoed later in chapter 12, verse 28. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. May I again say in light of these things, God the Father is worthy of our greatest of consideration. As you read that verse again, you may notice the word LORD is in all capitals. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. We have noted before in lessons that that is the translation of the word Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. He is in His holy temple. Our natural reaction in humble respect, reverence, and submission should be to appreciate that our job, our task, our goal is merely to strive to serve Him. Notice a few more thoughts on that slide. This God, this God the Father, even though He reigns in His holy temple, He is not a mere distant observer. Rather, He is one who desires and has made His part to appreciate His creation. And He wants us to respect Him for what He's done and to strive to be that in which He would find pleasing. Look at some of the things he has done. In Acts 27, sorry, verse, chapter 17, verse 28, the inspired writer pointed out that, speaking of God the Father, it is in Him that we live and move and have our very being. You and I would have no life were it not for Him. We would have no set of talents or other capabilities. It is He who has made us 
and we are to be the sheep of His pasture, Psalm 100, verses 3 and 4. When we add to that the following observations, notice that in love He initiated the desire to have a wonderful arrangement with His creation. Romans 5, verse 8. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did you notice? That's God the Father. He loved us sufficiently that He commissioned and dispatched the Son to come our way, to come to earth. And in this location and in this place, He manifested the greatest single attribute of loving sacrifice of all. Not only did He love us in that way, note the next observation. He communicated with us. May I invite each of us to reflect on the nature of that observation. Here is God, as powerful, as great, as omnipotent, and as awesome as He is. And yet, you and I, as lowly creatures given to sin, as lowly creatures who are far beneath Him, and yet He desired to communicate with us and did so. Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 1. How great is that statement. As it makes reference to this fact, this truth, this observation. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the prophets by the fathers, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. You and I can easily note then that God spoke. You speak in as much as you communicate. And so it was. God loved you and I sufficiently that He spoke to us. And today, He still speaks to us, but not in some inaudible way. He speaks to us with His Word. Every one of us can open it, appreciate it, read it, and apply it. He spoke to us in the language that heaven wished us to appreciate. The Bible is an inestimable treasure. A treasure because it's the Word of God. You'll notice some of the statements about that communication. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, you and I are admonished to communicate to Him. Pray without ceasing. That alone is something that could be developed at great length. Because after all, isn't it marvelous to consider that as great as God is, He desires you and I to talk to Him, to lay upon Him the burdens that are greater, of course, than you and I can bear. At the bottom of that slide, you'll notice a few examples of this truth. Psalm 55, 22, surely one of the high water marks in the book of Psalms. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. How often do you and I need that word of encouragement? He will never, ever suffer the righteous to be moved. And of course, the reason for that is because of what starts that verse. Cast your cares and burdens on Him. You can't bear them, but He can. You don't know what to do with them, but He does. You are not able to send them out and take care of them, but He can. Cast thy burden upon Him. And it's not as if that message is only found in the Old Testament. In 1 Peter 5, 7, a phrase in which the, apostle, the inspired Apostle Peter said it like this, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. God the Father loves every one of us individually. He is concerned about us. He is compassionate for us. 
Surely as we close that slide, then we can make this statement. 1 John 4.15 says it like this. This character, this nature of God, it is a fantastic truth that the Word of God in 1 John 4.15 teaches us that by faith, God is able to, in a sense, dwell within us. I suspect that many would find that troubling, but no true Christian would. We understand that He indwells us by faith. It is not as if God the Father literally dwells in you and I. He dwells in us through the agency, through the mode of, in the nature, if you please, of the Word of God. As you and I study it, rightly divide it, and apply it, it is as if God is acting through us as we carry out His will with the Word of God. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. In what other lesson, though, might we see these points? May I say that not only does God the Father reign from His holy temple, what about God the Son? With the first part of the lesson, our focus has been on the Father. Now let's give some thought to the Son. You can easily tell on that slide we're going to begin our development like this. There are many verses in the Word of God that testify to the fact that the Son also reigns in regal splendor. May I begin in Psalm 110, verse 4. The most often quoted Old Testament chapter is that one. And in that chapter we find that it is there stated that in verse number 4, it is true that He reigns in the avenue and reality of a man we call Melchizedek. The book of Hebrews develops that wonderful thought at length. And yet, the rulership and the reigning character of the Son is highlighted in a verse like that one. Let's add to that one this one. In Hebrews 1 verse 3 and later verse 13 of that chapter, the Son also sits and reigns over His kingdom, the church. Every one of us today as Christians have been added to that body when we obeyed the gospel. Acts 2.47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. You may notice then that at the time a person is baptized scripturally, none other than the Son Himself adds that person to that blessed body we call the church. It is His body. And He reigns over it as absolute head. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11 we notice on that occasion that Paul put it in language like this. He said, For other foundation could no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Paul would later say it in different language. He pointed out that not only is Christ the foundation, Colossians 1.18 says, He is head of the church, His body, which is the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. No wonder in light of those truths and in light of those great considerations. The next point is this one. It is true that the Son executed the commandments and the consideration of creation. Could I direct your attention to Colossians chapter 1? There we'll read two verses out of that chapter. But it speaks volumes about what the Son accomplished in light of the creation. That's again Colossians chapter number 1. We'll begin reading in verse number 16. For by Him, and that Him refers to the Christ, to the Son, 
For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. In reflecting upon that passage, we then rather dramatically learn that it was the Son who actually carried out the orders of the Father in light of the creation. Again, the text says, He created all of it, and it was created for Him and by Him. I hope we're each impressed then with what the Son brought to reality. The entire creation, every bit of it, was created by the Son. As you give thought to that, isn't it then true, the Lord is in His holy temple. And how often is He, the Son, referred to as the Lord in the pages of the New Testament? He, Acts 10, 38, is Lord of lords and King of kings. That statement reiterated in Revelation 16 and later in chapter 17 and again in chapter 19 points out the grandeur and the reigning character of the Son. Look at what's next on our slide. In Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, speaking of the Son, these statements were made. He passed through the clouds of the ancient of days, and He received a kingdom. And dominion and royal splendor was given to Him. May we notice, He received a kingdom. You don't have a kingdom unless you reign as a king. And sure enough, the Son does. I hope each of us are impressed and that we often remark and think of what it's like to appreciate existence in the kingdom of the Son. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Our task, our charge then ought to be in regard to the Son, what will you have me to do? And how sad then it is that so many, it seems, in our world today run roughshod over the Son. They think that they're honoring Him when they give little regard to what He's already said that He wants. That, my friends, is absolute blasphemy. That is nothing less than abject rebellion. The Son reigns over His kingdom. Aren't you thankful to be a part of that kingdom and to submissively respond to Him? You may notice again on that slide, the Son, just like the Father, is not distantly unobservant. I know earlier we learned tonight that the Father is aware of what's going on and He's not just a distant observer. But those same things can be said about the Son. Look at some of these verses with me. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight and following, Jesus speaking said, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, again, it was sufficiently stated, He is aware of the number of hairs on our heads. He is aware when a sparrow falls from the sky. With His knowledge of those things and His appreciation of them, isn't it then fair to say that you and I each day should be mindful of the fact of what the Son does? Let's add some more things to that list. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, The Son 
is said to be the mediator between God the Father and man. And He is our one and only mediator. How much we need Him. How often then should be our regard to approach the Godhead through Him, noting that He can carry our petitions to the Father, that He can lay all of our concerns and burdens on the shoulders of the ones who are able to bear it. We do a great disservice when we think we can proceed through life without their aid, that we can proceed through life without their assistance. We need the power of God with us. One last thing you may notice is this. He serves as our high priest. In the Old Testament, the high priest occupied an office of tremendous influence and significance. The people of Israel needed the laboring character of that high priest. Only he could approach God on their behalf. You and I need a high priest. But it isn't a man. It isn't even a group of men. Jesus Christ in Hebrews 7 is said to be our one and only high priest. It was prophesied in Zechariah that it would be that way. And as you and I read verses like Zechariah 6 verse 12, we appreciate there it was foretold that the same one who would serve as king would also serve as priest. And so today, how sweet it is that Jesus does occupy those offices simultaneously. Closing that slide, we come to one final observation. Having looked a bit at God the Father and also at God the Son, it behooves us to give some thought to God the Spirit. Might we remember that the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. As you and I give thought to God the Spirit. Let's begin in 1 Peter 1 verse number 12. The reference on that occasion is very rich indeed. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse number 12. Peter, in speaking, has this dramatic statement to make. Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. The Holy Ghost is, of course, the Holy Spirit, and there sent down from heaven. May we never forget the Lord is in His holy temple. That would include the marvelous grandeur of the Holy Spirit. Consider another passage, this time Revelation 1 verse 4. It is there stated that the seven spirits of God were before the throne of the Father. That would again imply that the Holy Spirit one more time, a part of the Godhead in heaven, No wonder then, in light of those things, our development can proceed like this. What is the tremendous work that the Spirit has done? Perhaps it could be highlighted in language like this. The Spirit's efforts to reveal the will of heaven. God's ways are far greater than ours. He thinks on a plane far higher than you and I. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God Himself speaking says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than yours. Man is a fool who thinks 
that apart from the revelation of God, he can think on God's level. It would not be possible. And yet into that consideration comes the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in speaking in John 16, 13, said, When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but what things soever He speaketh, He seeth, that shall He speak. Jesus thus directly asserted that, What things the Spirit had seen from the Father and Son, that He would reveal to the human family. Today, aren't you eternally thankful? Shouldn't all of us be eternally grateful that the Spirit saw fit carrying out His efforts of revelation to bring before us the message of the gospel, the truth of the nature of God, and all the attributes that go with it. You and I could not know the Godhead in any way were it not for the revelatory work of the Spirit. In addition to John 16, 13, in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and following, really, we have a statement there that, For no man knoweth the Spirit of God, save those to whom the Spirit will reveal Him. The Spirit of God has revealed the nature of God to us. Of course, it's found in the Word of God. No wonder the Bible is described then as the product of, of the Holy Spirit. May I call our attention to that text in 2 Peter chapter 1. There in verses 20 and 21 it reads, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Those writers, roughly 40 men who wrote the Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, that verse told us they were prompted, they were superintended by the efforts of the Holy Spirit. Thus, when Paul or Peter or James or John or others wrote the various books in the Bible, they were motivated and compelled to write that which the will of God intended them to write. And as the Spirit led them to write it, they were writing Holy Scripture no wonder then in light of those things, the Spirit too is not a disinterested observer, but rather is keenly interested in the things that go on in your life and in mine, and yea, in the church. Consider these passages. In Romans 8 verse 26, may I quote, It is the Spirit that helpeth our infirmities. Present tense action verb. Each day, may I suggest you and I as Christians, have the powerful promise of the help of the Spirit. May we never overlook it. May we never fail to appreciate it. Because how desperately we need it. Let's add another to that list. In Ephesians 6.18, Paul told the Ephesians that through the Spirit they were able to pray. Aren't you thankful that the Spirit can in some way offer assistance are there times that you and I fail to pray for what we ought to pray for? I suspect that's true of all of us. And yet, we're told in the Word of God that it can be the case. The Spirit can often utter assistances and helpfulness in light of even our failures in light of prayer. Oh, how the Spirit, again, is in His holy temple. 
and let all the earth keep silence before Him. Surely in light of those things, we close our slide this way. We learned earlier tonight that the Father indwells us by virtue of the Word. So too did the Son, and now so too does the Spirit. When you and I learn the Word of God, we embed it into our heart. We use it to live and guide ourselves day by day. It can then rightly be said that the Spirit dwells within us, the Father dwells within us, the Son dwells within us, and in no case is it a literal bodily indwelling of any of them. It is an indwelling in us by virtue of what each one has set before us. What a great truth. What a powerful matter. Let's close our lesson then like this. Where is God today? The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. The God of heaven is exactly where He's always been. He reigns in majesty over His creation. Tonight, we not only have thought about the Father and the great work that He has done, but we've also thought about the Son. The Son, of course, died on the cross. But He ascended back to heaven. We read about that in Acts chapter 1. And now He reigns in royal splendor over His kingdom. The Spirit has done His task of revealing the nature of God and all that goes with going to heaven. Are you and I faithful to those commandments? Do we live each day in light of them? If tonight there would be anyone in the audience, and all isn't well with your soul, you realize that the God of heaven has done His part. The Father had the plan, the desire that you would be saved. The Son executed that plan by dying on the cross, and the Spirit revealed that plan to us in light of the Word. All three have done their part. You and I must do the rest. We must, in fact, be sufficiently convicted that we obey that gospel and then live faithfully to it. Tonight it might be that someone in this audience is not saved at this moment. Maybe, though once a faithful Christian, you are not now. Don't you want to come back home? Don't you want to come back to the place where the Father, the Son, and the Spirit not only are acting and operating on your behalf, but they are a constant and daily source of strength and power? Don't you feel a bit lost without them? Don't you feel a bit in despair without them? At one time you knew them. At this point they don't know you. May I ask, if you also have never become a Christian, don't you see what you're missing? Don't you see what it is that has been lost on your, on your consideration? May I offer that you need to believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. And tonight, if we could be of help in carrying that out, it'd be our privilege to do it at once while together we stand and while we sing.